Arnav, welcome to the show. You have the high distinction of being our youngest guest ever. And uh, I wanted to start out with maybe a simple question. Since uh, you're still in high school, I wanted you to tell us all, what is it like to go to high school during a pandemic? Yeah, um, first off, it's great to be here. Um, is it, high school is definitely a new experience. Uh, none of us probably predicted you know, the COVID pandemic to hit or any of this to happen. And so we've had to really adapt on the spot really quickly. Um, online learning right, is the new, uh, new norm, to be honest with you. Um, I personally prefer this. I think it's a lot more flexible. The workload is more manageable simply because you have the perception of having more time. Plus, I'm a senior, so I have college apps, et cetera. So I always need more time. But um, there's definitely its challenges, but there's definitely some benefit I see. So like, how is it working right now? Do you take all of your classes like on Zoom or Google Meet? Like, how, What's just the day-to-day -day schedule like? Yeah, so uh, we're using a platform called Squalgy. I'm Round Rock ISD, right? So in teaching or as part of learning, there's two sections. There's the synchronous and asynchronous time. Uh, every class has both sections. And synchronous is where we are live on Google Meet with the teacher. And asynchronous is where we have our independent work, which is a continuation of what we learned. So that offers extra time for the students, but it also makes sure uh, there's engagement and interactiveness with the teachers as well. So is it, um, you already mentioned it, so you actually like it better? Is it kind of like better in the sense of like, you know, you kind of like knock out your lectures and then you have the time to do the homework or is there anything else that makes it better or worse? Yeah, so I personally prefer this because of the flexibility. Um, generally, when you're in a uh, like live setting with a teacher, you have to often be in pace with the class, right? And uh, I wouldn't say necessarily I'm faster. However, I do have you know different uh, interests than the other per than other people, etc. I might uh, focus or be confused about something else than the uh, another person might be. And so the online learning uh, lets you be more flexible. Lets you. Uh, if there's something you're stuck on yourself, you can solve it or try to find a solution on your own while someone else can focus on their own uh, question, et cetera. And uh, I think that flexibility is very useful for um, kids who in general, like, or just in general for a school setting. Yeah, no, I can see why that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is like everything in life if, uh, you know, everyone goes at different paces. So if you can go a little faster or take, or more importantly, sometimes like take more time when you're, you know, when it doesn't make sense to you, I can see why that's a huge advantage. So, uh, well, what about this? You know, I think, you know, for a lot of this audience, I think is probably out of high school. I think there's one other person. I know one person read in, they said they were very young, but other than that, it's like, what about the social aspect? I think a lot of us remember like socializing a lot in high school. Like, has it all just moved like onto texting and like virtual zooms or is it just, you know, are you guys still getting together? Like what's happening on that, that front? Yeah. So the social aspect I would say has definitely, uh, diminished in terms of like, what people plan on, right? Prom is for many always something which they've thought about uh, their entire high school, like prom's going to be awesome, right? However, this year we're at, we're at a stage where prom might not actually occur. Uh, same as like homecoming as well as just other events. So I would say interact, like social interactivity has definitely decreased. Um, I, for instance, can't go and hang out with my friends and they can't hang out with me and vice versa. However, because of the internet and because of all of the new technological uh, innovations, I guess, uh, we've still been in contact. Whenever we want, we can always set up a Zoom meeting. Uh, Discord is very prevalent for high schoolers. Uh, we have our own. Uh, we have a lot of Discord servers set up for different uh, parts of school, classes, etc. So we're still staying connected. It's just the personal contact which has definitely decreased for sure. No, it makes sense. That's that sounds interesting. It's interesting. Like I've heard Discord is is really popular amongst your age group, and it's like I've I've been. Um kind of joke sometimes on the show, like we, you know, we all use Slack, right. That's a lot of very popular in workplaces yeah. and 
there's a lot of personal slacks, but it's, uh, I set up a dis, I got like a discord account and I was like, all right, let's get, I want to try this out. But, uh, nobody I know was on discord. So I don't know. I guess this is a little generational, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah a little of a generational gap, I guess. But, uh, yeah. that's pretty cool. So, well, listen, I, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on a lot of times when we talk, um, to people always ask them like, how did they get into tech? And they maybe been out in the professional world for a while, but you know, you, you've been into tech for a while and I, you know, we'll talk about several of the projects you've done. I mean, you've done quite a bit for someone your age. It's very, imp- it's very impressive. And uh, we're going to explore some of those ideas, but maybe for you, I, you know, I mean, I know it maybe wasn't that long ago, but you know, how did you get into tech? Like, did you, uh, you know, come up through like, like Minecraft or roadblocks and was that, entry in like scratch programming did that get you into it or like what was your path into like getting into all this technology yeah so i was born in uh, san francisco so uh quite literally the facebook headquarters used to be on my way to school so i was always in that environment or that setting of like computer science tech innovation etc right others around me you know um like my uncles and representatives like they were uh you know starting companies or they were doing really leading edge uh work and so i was always in that uh, mindset of like I want to learn more about this. I want to be uh, more knowledgeable about computer science and technology. Additionally, my dad, he works at Oracle. And so I always used to see him when I was young, working, you know, 15 plus hours a day, giving all that he had. And he always used to just teach me a little bit about what he learned, teach me a little bit of the concepts. You know, what is this cloud? What are, uh, you know, starting from, you know, basic parts of a computer all the way up to some pretty high level stuff. Um, That's what I would say really got me into tech. Um, then from there, I think I just led my like self in terms of what I learned. Uh, I, I think I personally progressed based off of what my interests particularly were. And from there, um, I guess what I would say is what I really love about tech and computer science, which keeps on driving me, is the fact that there's always more questions than answers. And I think that pursuit of knowledge has what uh, just has really gotten me into computer science and what keeps me motivated, honestly. That's awesome. So that's pretty exciting. So definitely sounds like you had uh, a lot of good family support. So what would you say? What was like your, your first, uh, you know, quote unquote, real programming language? What did you actually learn when you started to build stuff out? Yeah. So in elementary school, there was a programming language called Terrapin Logo. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's quite literally just a turtle and you can draw things with turtle. It's, I think it's a more primitive version of a turtle, uh, which is used on Python currently. Yep. And so that is how I first got started drawing things out, loops, conditionals, etc. cetera. Um, from there, when I moved here uh, in middle school, I was a very active part of the robotics team at, at my middle school. And that was my first introduction to like, uh, I would say block based computer programming and when I went into like the principles of computational thinking, the aspects of program- programming that's necessary, um, I think those are the first two programming languages in essence, which I really learned and was really knowledgeable about. And then from there, I just took off. Like once end of middle school and uh, beginning of high school, I just started uh, learning into a variety of languages and concepts, et cetera. Yeah, it looks like you took uh, a lot of these, I'm not, maybe not a lot, but you took a bunch of classes on what, Coursera and, and others, sort of just self-study kind of programming and algorithm classes. Is, like, Tell me about that. How does that work? Yeah, for sure. So um, I took uh, a few high-level classes that, that just weren't offered to most high schoolers. Um, for instance, Princeton on Coursera offers a uh, great algorithms and data structures class, which is a very uh, nice basic introduction to uh, some basic algorithms. Uh, uh, algorithm or data structures, for instance, decks, queues, et cetera. Um, I also uh, use online learning or the online courses like Coursera, Ud- uh, Udacity, Udemy, et cetera, 
for financial markets. So Yale had a or has a very awesome financial markets class, which I took over this summer. Um, that's also a little bit one of my uh, interests, right? So financial markets, uh, I was able to learn a lot more about that, etc. Um, I would also just say, right, in current or modern day society, right, the power of YouTube and just uh, the internet, you can search up, find out anything you want. If there's any questions you have, there's probably an answer to that, right? And that lets you develop and learn more than just the classroom setting or more than just what your job tells you to do, et cetera. And uh, I really tried to take advantage of that over the summer, especially considering I was pretty much locked at home for the past six something months. Well, that's awesome. It sounds like you actually took uh, some time and made the best of it. I actually, I couldn't agree with you more on the YouTube stuff. I even think, I know there are these official courses. It sounds like you've taken some level of them, but uh, for example, I, I um, was like, I as people like listen to the show, like I like to build iPhone apps, just like play around with it. And I just like took the online Stanford course. They just have all the videos up there and all the assignments. So you can just like watch the professor and just do it. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. It's like, and uh, to your point, like it's awesome because you can kind of go at your own pace. Like if you get it, you can kind of skip over assignments, or if you need more help, right, you can go back, rewatch the videos. So uh, it's all out there, I guess, right? If if you want it, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's fantastic. So all right, so now tell me about one of the first things that um, you've gotten into here is uh, tech savvy gen. So what is exactly is tech savvy gen? Why did you create it, and like what? How does it help people? Yeah, so TechSavvy Gen is an organization, uh, organization, sorry, I started roughly a year and a half ago. And uh, TechSavvy Gen is basically focused on creating an emphasis on computer science and technology from a young age. So what I noticed personally in my community is that there was a drastic disconnect in computer science and STEM educations uh, in terms of transitioning from elementary and middle school to high school, right? Um, I personally was able to get the resources to uh, take computer science classes and learn more about STEM, et cetera, before high school. However, um, not many are in the same boat as me, right? So Tech Savvy Gen was just created with the intent of closing that gap and providing basic education and access to resources within the community. So other than uh, just the actual like coding aspect of computer science, right? Tech Savvy Gen also is more focused on the use of resources and tools that we use on a daily basis. For instance, uh, Google, for instance, or Google Drive was definitely a very big or new concept whenever we first were introduced to that as students. So that's one of my focuses. Additionally, Word, as well as like learning basic operations of basic hardware. What is a GPU? What is a CPU? Um, uh, peripheral uh, devices, et cetera. Okay. And so what exactly do, um, does it do? Like, is it like a set of workshops? Is it like, how does, um, I guess it help the community learn about these things? Oh yeah. So tech savvy gen, uh, basically offers classes. Um, so currently it would be, uh, it is online, uh, purely online at the moment because of the uh, pandemic. However, tech savvy gen, uh, well, I mainly, uh, teach and I, I'm in charge of like planning the curriculum, looking at what the students uh, need, what the students want, and then from there creating a month, two month, et cetera, uh, course just designed on uh, going over the basics and the fundamental things, which I think they will need for their classes as well as uh, using the uh, using their computer slash the internet. Wow. So you're actually like building out the, the entire curriculum as well as teaching the class? Yes, um, I'm in charge of managing the curriculum for for these lessons. Wow. And like, so how many people typically like attend a, a workshop? Um, yeah, so there's a very varying amount. Amount, I would say. Um, I have some classes where there have been you know five to ten kids, but there's easily been a few where there's twenty five to thirty. 
Uh, in general, the smaller classes, of course, do allow more personalization. However, the larger classes are also awesome because it's really fun with these really creative kids, et cetera, uh, being able to come up with their own ideas and being able to put their own, you know, superhero and, you know, fantasy land ideas into whatever we're learning. And I, I enjoy that quite a bit. Wow, that sounds awesome. And so what, what age groups are you kind of targeting here? Yeah, so Tech Savvy Gen is primarily for elementary and early middle school. Uh, we go over very basic uh, and fundamental concepts. We don't go into too much like higher level programming or object-oriented programming. It's, ma it's mainly for a younger audience. Okay, that's pretty cool. Like I, I find, you know, it's interesting because my, uh, my own son is in elementary school and stuff. And it's like, it's kind of interesting because I think some of them take to it very quickly and they, they feel like uh, it doesn't get advanced enough for them, right? That's one thing I've noticed. Like some of the kids uh, like want to go faster. They want to get beyond scratch right beyond like kind of the basic stuff and like do stuff and then other people uh they're just less into it right so they just sort of they want to stay off and just kind of like just do the, the basic stuff so do you find i would assume the group of people that you're that are interested in this are probably are they kind of pushing you to like do more advanced things faster or do they kind of keep you on your toes yeah so in in general i would say it it depends on the student right so i have i have taught some students before who are very fast paced. They're like, I finished the week's assignment today and it's like, oh, okay, time to move on, right? However, on the other hand, there's also some kids who um, need more time to understand things, et cetera. Um, I definitely have had classes where I've had to, you know, create more curriculum, learn uh, or teach them a lot more uh, at a faster rate. However, there's also been classes where I need to slow down a little bit, go over concepts again. Uh, I personally think it's solely based off of the uh, student and like the kid themselves. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So now are you doing this? Like, are they paying you? Like, how does it work? Do I just um, register and get on? Like, how, how are you doing it? Yeah. So this is nonprofit. Tech Savvy Gen was not focused on, on making money. Um, so the way Tech Savvy Gen works is we have workshops and we have classes. So if you fill out the contact form on the website, um, I find out uh, that you're interested and I get in touch with you and we talk about what exactly do you want? Um, when are you free, et cetera. And we try to find a plan so that we um, can get together and learn. Wow. Wow. seems like a tremendous amount of work. How do you have time to do this? I mean, that's my question. That's, that's incredible <sighs> that you're able to do all of this. I asked that, that question to myself too. Um, one of my uh, like main mentors, one of my teachers always just reminds me there's 168 hours in the week. Right. And so for me, it's just a question of how can I optimize those 168 hours? Um, I don't know if there is a answer to that. All I know is I try to make it happen. I stick, I stick to my priorities. Once they're done, I, you know, move on, try to keep all like the fun stuff to the end after you're done with the serious things. But yeah, I don't know what to tell you in all honesty. Yeah, you're making it happen. You don't have to explain yourself. Well, what, um, how many, uh, how many classes of workshops have you actually done already? Yeah. So over the summer, I had a few classes. Um, I don't exactly remember the exact amount. However, they're usually in the mornings. Um, they're from Monday to Friday, around one and a half to two-ish hours, depending on the specific lesson. And we just go over all the concepts. Of course, I stay after if there's any questions, et cetera. But as a general note, that's around the time frame. Um, at the moment, because of the uh, college apps plus school starting plus the shift uh, to online learning, uh, I've taken a pause with Tech Savvy Gen in terms of like a lot of kids have let me know. They're like, hey, I don't think I can do this, at which point I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, however, once we get back to a little bit more of a normal scenario, I guess you could say, um, it would be just like it was uh, over the summer. Wow, it's fantastic. And so are you doing are all the the students kind of local to the Austin, Texas area? Or are they, can at they the moment, it? yes. Yeah, um, at yeah. the moment, they're they're purely local. Um, however, 
uh, if someone, you know, comes from another state, et cetera, and says, hey, I'm interested, I, I won't say no to them, of course. Um, everyone's free to come and join. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Well, I'm going to listen. I'm going to tell them right now. I'm going to put the URL in the show notes if someone wants to uh, come get in touch, right? There's, uh, you've got the nice contact form and things like that. And is there a way, even what if I want to contribute? Can I give you some money or can I help you uh, raise money for this? Um, I personally don't have any form of like, of contribute, uh, like contributions. However, that would be awesome. Um, I guess we could talk about that more. If anyone's interested in making a donation or et cetera, um, they could just contact me. That would be awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we should um, definitely yeah. find out, find a way for people to maybe reach out and maybe they can't, if they don't want to give you money, maybe they can help you give you some resources or, uh, yeah. help you teach, manage some of these classes. Cause it's a, it's a fantastic thing. I think, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone should learn more about technology if they're interested as they come up. It's fantastic. For sure. All right. Well, you know, not that you don't have enough going on here. Um, <laughs> Tell me, well, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you is because you're talking about kind of the the next generation, but what about uh, for, I think, many people on here, you know, maybe took AP computer science like way back in the day. So I was just going to ask you, like, what's the state of uh, computer science today just in your regular high school cur- curriculum? Like, are you, did you take it? And then like, what do you learn in, a- I don't know what the equivalent is, AP computer science or in your case, a yeah. different type of course, like what are they teaching you um, in the regular curriculum today? Yeah, so I would say computer science in terms of in the classroom has definitely improved. It's definitely gotten a little more advanced. Um, there is still AP Computer Science. Uh, it's called AP Computer Science A. They additionally, uh, the College Board additionally created AP Computer Science Principles, which is more like a introductory class, I would say. It's a little less advanced. I personally took those two classes, and as of right now, um, since I'm part of the International Baccalaureate Program, I'm, JP, I'm taking IB Computer Science. However, um, regardless of the class, regardless if it's AP, IB, on level, whatever, I do believe that um, computer science classes now are providing more valuable and necessary information, which I think everyone ought to know and uh, is just necessary for the daily functioning of of our lives. We practically live on the Internet at this point, I I firmly believe. Um, But, yeah, it's it's based off of what you want. Right. So the, the easier classes are more about the basics. However, if you're passionate and you want to learn more, right, you can take it to like the AP level or the IB level. Teachers are always awesome. They will always love to tell you more about it if you have any questions, curiosities, et cetera. Um, well, what's yeah. the, uh, what's the, like, in, is it, is it Java? Like, what's the AP computer science test in these days? Is it Java yes. or, go ahead. Um, so AP computer science is currently uh, in Java. I believe it was C, if I'm not wrong, uh, before. However, now it's, it's uh, Java. Um, that's probably the predominant language. I would say Java and Python is the predominant, or the sorry, two predominant languages in high school. Uh, but yeah, the AP is Java. Okay, I was gonna say, do they still make you like reverse a linked list? I feel like this is like the problem on every single uh, computer science uh, exam everywhere. Are there, is it, have they? Is that question still on there, or is it something different now? Linked lists are not on the uh, are not oh, uh, my not a part of the AP. Um, yeah, yeah. I was a little surprised when I heard they got rid of linked lists. Um, now, implementing linked list was a bit of a challenge for me personally when I first started. However, um, yeah, I think the most advanced now it gets to is some of the sortings, right? So insertion, selection, merge, mm-hmm. uh, bubble sort. Oh I think my bubble gosh, sort the bubble be. sort, when not to use the bubble sort. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. We don't go over time complexity too much or, or uh, like storage um, or managing storage too much. It's mostly just understanding how these uh sorting algorithms work, et cetera. All right. Well, listen, I don't know. I don't know what the college curriculum is like, but it feels like every computer science class in college 
there's the reverse the link list question. I don't know. So you can get prepared. Study up, <laughs> study up now. It's probably likely in your future should you decide to study, uh, quote unquote, data structures and just basic programming. Yeah. So, all right. Well, listen, you, you have a ton of stuff to do here. So then you did this other thing called EDU data. So tell me the same kind of questions here. What is EDU data? Why did you create this one? Yeah, so EduData was created due to the pandemic. So around March, there was a competition or a global hackathon called the Global Hack. And this was a online 48 uh, hour competition. And the thesis, I guess, was that uh, we all are stuck at home. So if everyone put their minds together to find solutions to tackle COVID, they would probably find some pretty innovative solutions. And so I saw this and I was like, awesome, let's do this. So EduData is basically, uh, well, EduData was created um, after I realized that this pandemic has forced thousands of businesses to close their doors permanently while millions are unemployed and, um, you know, arguably uh, other millions more are, are students, sorry, do not have access to this proper education because personal learning is, is almost obsolete at the moment. So um, I came up with the idea of EduData and I decided to uh, submit this into the global hack and to um, compete in this competition. So EduData is pretty much built with the vision to support individuals around the world who need help and guidance to either restart their life, make changes, or to just find a way around the current trouble they might be facing. Um, the mission is to just create a global co community which connects students, mentors, uh, people who uh, want jobs, want to learn more, etc., all around the world to help enhance like knowledge and skills. So the way EduData is built or designed to do this is there's two branches, EduCourse and the mentorship program. So EduCourse is more strictly uh, like computer science coding, which I did. So EduCourse is a custom search engine, which I created. And the sole focus of this is to crawl the, uh, crawl the internet um, and using custom parameters, which a user uh, inputs, it is meant to find the 10 best reliable courses, which are both cheap, highly rated, and relevant to your um, occupation or whatever you want to uh, learn, right? So if you put linear algebra, it'll give you like the 10 best, most likely, um, I, I couldn't tell you off my head, but there'd be, you know, some pretty good courses, etc. The second part of EduData is the mentorship program. So this is focused on matching learners and qualified mentors based on their subject of interest. So if one person and one part of the country says, hey, I want to learn more about some specific aspect of computer science, uh, they can put it on EduData, they can log in and they can submit a form saying, um, I'm looking for someone to help me out on this. Then somewhere else across the globe, someone might be like, hey, I know a lot about uh, the edgy data, uh, sorry, not edgy data about uh, computer science and what are, what they're talking about. Let's connect, and that way it forms a connection. All right, so so it's like a search engine to basically find courses. It sounds like, and then it's also, a, I guess, a mentor student kind of matching service. Is that is that a good summary? Yeah, yeah. Those are the two parts of edgy data. Yes, that's fantastic. So, did you actually write this search engine yourself? Do you like crawling the web? Did you, like, how does that yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I created the search engine in the 48-hour in the competition uh, using uh, Scrapey. Uh, I used Python, and there's Scrapey, Scrappy. I'm not sure if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, I use, uh, using Scrapey, of course, looking at previous examples, seeing how search engines work, et cetera. I kind of had to do a crash course into search engines. But yeah, um, I, I made that on my own. Wow, fantastic. So and then, uh, like, are, is it still updating? Does it go out and, like, continue to kind of uh, scan the internet for new stuff? Or is it, like, was it just part of a, a small project like what's going on with it now 
Yeah, so at the moment, um, the website or the Edutata website is down and we're completely changing it. Uh, the reason for that is we just wanted to move from the competition website to a uh, official website, um, which I'm currently coding um, on my own. As for the search engine itself, um, the search engine still works. It's operational, et cetera. Um, there are some ideas I'm currently thinking about, most of them involving machine learning, trying to make that a little better, making the search engine a lot, uh, a lot more uh, efficient as well as uh, reliable. Um, as for the mentorship program, uh, the sorting algorithm or the original sorting algorithm, which like sorts the entries and descriptions to see who best matches you, was was pretty uh, like primitive. Basically, what happened is after it found who had a similar like overarching theme, for instance, computer science, history, etc., it literally just searched through all of the text and saw uh, what descriptions had the most amount of similar strings, uh, which. Later on, thinking about it, when there's a lot of people who are, say, using this, for uh, for instance, this is extremely inefficient and probably not accurate. Um, right. The current version is I am currently trying to implement supervised learning. I'm trying to uh, get some data and trying to uh, create my own model um, machine, uh, using machine learning, which can make these decisions on their own. That's nice. currently the future of, of the uh, algorithm. Well, that's fantastic. Well, hey, you know, this, this is life of software, right? You get it out there and you got to rebuild it and make it better, add enhancements. That's, uh, that's you know, quite mature uh, for anyone, it's certainly anyone developing products. Um, well, how did you do in the competition? Like, I guess, was it just a hackathon? Was there like a winner or a loser? Or is, is it just like what, what came of the competition? Yeah, so um, Edudata was in the education track, which is roughly uh, 200, 250 professional teams around the world. And so we've placed in the top seven. Um, so nice. we were the finalists. Okay. So that was a pretty good experience. Um, I got to present the idea to some uh, fairly um, fairly knowledgeable um, people and representatives about uh, the education uh, aspect of the pandemic. And so that was a very good experience. That's fantastic. Well, great. Well, that's uh, well. Hey, do you remember what won? I'm always interested. What was the number one thing? Was it a crazy idea, or was it? Were you impressed with it, or were you like, ah, oh, we should have won? I was definitely impressed with it. Um, I believe it was, oh uh, yes, it was a team that came up with uh, judging or like visualizing interactivity of students based off of their camera and machine learning. So um, uh. I'm not 100% sure, but like basically they had their own um, uh, neural network working, which just looked at the students and based off of certain criteria for uh, engagingness or, or interactivity, they determined how engaged is someone. Right. So that makes sense. That would actually be, I could see where like almost like for a teacher looking at like a dashboard of students, like who who's engaged, who isn't, who isn't, you know, that would be kind of a good like red light, green light for all exactly. these, all these teachers having to like keep track of all these children. So, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, all right. So it's EduData. All right. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll drop a link into the show notes too, right? Cause that's another website. I think, do you have, is there a website up or is that, uh, something you're still working on? Um, the, the website currently is, is down. Um, in the link right now, uh, we put the submission, which I submitted to the competition, which talks a lot more in depth of what Edudata is. If you're curious about that, check that out. Um, at the moment, however, Edudata was on a Wix site, and we just embedded <laughs> all of the other links, et cetera. <laughs> right. So we haven't bought the domain yet. Uh -huh. uh, and so we'll do that very soon, hopefully in a few months. 
Uh-huh. So at the moment, there really isn't a website. I like it. You're bootstrapping all the way. Hey, that's <laughs> fine. A Wix site. Hey, you got to do what you got to do early on, right? You know, we gonna we need to get you some AWS free credits or something. Get you some. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Let's get you uh, in. I'm sure. I'm sure there's some AWS people that can hook you up with some some credits. Get you uh, get you off Wix. Get you into something. Yeah, um, it's a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, the the only one main issue was like we didn't mind having the template of Wix. However, the backend programming was in JavaScript. Which was a little bit of a of a pain because when I created the team, uh, no one really knew about JavaScript. We all were more about like Python, uh, Java, etc. Right. So that was a little bit of a. We were searching and we were like, I recall there was a specific four hour video on sending emails, and me and someone else put it on two times speed five hours before the the deadline, and we were just watching the video really quickly <laughs> and trying to gain anything we could, and just quickly like furiously typing and seeing does it work? No. Okay, try again. Yeah. That's funny. All right. Well, first rule, like if you know, go, don't let the, uh, don't let your, don't let the platform dictate your tools go the other way. So we'll get you, we'll find, we're going to find a way to get you some credit. So you need to do it in Python. So you don't have to, uh, probably many people on this, uh, listening to this JavaScript. Yes. Lots of pain, lots of pain ahead with JavaScript. Everyone's done it. Um, well, listen, not all of your, uh, interests are, I think, more kind of in the educational space. Like I know, I noticed um, that you've also spent some time building on some stuff in finance. So maybe t- take me through that. Like, how did you get interested in finance and like, which parts of finance are you exploring right now? Yeah. So finance is actually one of my, um, one of the things I'm most interested in terms of like uh, working in future uh, career. I wouldn't say there's an instantaneous point where I was like, yes, finance is the thing for me. However, I would say that in general, there's, I've always had a very, uh, I've always been very interested in the uncertainty or, or the variability of uh, financial markets. Um, whenever like other people see those bars and the charts and they're wondering what in the world happens, uh, I always try to, you know, I've always had that mindset, I'd say, of trying to isolate patterns, trying to find ways of maybe if, you know, you calculate, you know, the moving average, et cetera, you can figure out uh, what's going to happen in the future, et cetera. So based, like starting from there, my interest just um, began, right? I was used to hearing the news, et cetera. The Dow is up, blah, blah, blah. Uh, SAP, uh, S&P 500 is doing this. And so just like that, more questions started forming. And then I found, I think, a, a niche, I would say. It was freshman year, yeah. It was end of freshman year when me and my computer science teacher were working on some uh, things after school. And uh, he knew about my interest in the stock market. And so what he was uh, talking about, he was just like, I think you'll like something called quantitative finance. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And I searched it up. And so quantitative finance, at least how I perceive it, is basically the use of mathematical and computational models to predict and analyze financial markets. Uh, This also involves creating trading algorithms, new measures of technical analysis, basically computer science, math, and and finance uh, just put together. And so I was obsessed with that. Um, I was really interested in that. So I did what every you know fourteen year old go- does. I went to my parents and I said, "Hey, I want to buy the Dummies Guide to Quantitative Finance." Um, their looks were definitely something you sh- uh, to remember. Um, they they had no idea what that was. Of course, they're always supportive, but you know right. that was probably a new face for them. And they're like, "What in the world is this?" Right. Um, but yeah, that's how that began. And then it took me, I would say, five pages inside of the book when I was like, "Okay, Algebra Two is clearly not going to cut this." Uh, nor right. is my intro to Java classes. So that drove, I would say, my learning. Um, finding answers in that book, right? What is Brownian uh, uh, motion? Um, how do you use uh, optimization algorithms in terms of uh, variance versus return, et cetera? 
that drove my learning and uh, basically motivated me to learn more, to look at specific classes, take online classes like financial markets from Yale, machine learning from Georgia Tech, etc. And my interest has, uh, it's developed, I would say like exponentially, like the more I learn, the even more interested I get about quantitative finance and finance and learning more about it, uh, about it. That's fantastic. So what like is your goal? I mean, do you want to be a, a quantitative analyst like on Wall Street? Is that kind of the, the, the place you're headed? Or do you want to just develop your own algorithms and trade your own money? Like what's your, where are you trying to go with it? Yeah, so I definitely do want to be a quant. That definitely is um, a goal I have. Maybe if I'm, maybe, um, you know, a very ambitious route, starting your own hedge fund, et cetera. That's definitely a possibility for me, something I'm thinking about at the moment. Um, but yeah, something in, in that uh, market for sure, in, in, in the stock market for sure. As for algorithms, I do write algorithms in my like free time. I actually been or was working on an algorithm for around one and a half years. I finally finished it in June. So yeah, algorithms are definitely involved in quantitative finance for sure. They're also just a side hobby. Whenever I'm in my free time, I can work on you know optimizing my own algorithms, looking at previously open source algorithms and seeing what went wrong there, what is awesome about it, what can I learn from that, et cetera. Well, what algorithm? What algorithm did you write? Like what was yes. it trying to do? Yeah, so uh, it was a trading algorithm, which was pretty, it was very similarly based off of mean variance optimization, right? So that is a very well-known concept in, in quantitative finance in the stock market of creating a portfolio which can minimize the volatility or minimize the uh, possible risk while maximizing reward. Uh, that's also um, that like equation of return over volatility or, or standard deviation, I guess, is also called the sharp ratio. So my algorithm, which is pretty similar based off of that, is finding the tangency, uh, tangency portfolio, which is just finding the portfolio over a certain amount of time, which has the highest sharp ratio. The higher the sharp ratio, the better it is. Um, that that was that's the algorithm I was working on. Um, it ended up uh, after one and a half years and you know dozens of of financial books which I had to read and look over and you know nights where I've just constantly pondered what am I doing wrong. Right. It finally it finally worked out and I was pretty happy to see that considering it was successful, it was profitable, and the adjustments I had made uh, to the actual like optimization of the sharp ratio. Um, at least in the backtesting modules, right? Which um, if you know a little bit about, about backtesting, there's biases, uh, biases. There's always issues whenever you're trying to run something in the past when you know the outcome, right? So according to the backtest, which I've run, the portfolio or, or the uh, algorithm was able to successfully manage a portfolio, which was still profitable and didn't have as sudden of a risk or sorry, sudden of a drop as the stock market did during the COVID pandemic. And so I, I thought that to be quite a bit of an achievement because if it, the algorithm was running as the backtest said it was, which um, I, I think it does, of course, that would have definitely been an accomplishment if I had finished earlier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. If only, if only you had known COVID yeah. was coming. Yes. So, well, that's, that's incredibly, uh, I mean, that's just, just amazing. I don't know what to say. That's fantastic that you've done it. So well, you have actually taken, I think your finance interest right now, you've, you've built a, yet another uh, site here, Stock Talk. So tell like tell me about Stock Talk. What what does that do, and like, what should people use it for? Yeah, so Stock Talk takes a step back from quantitative finance, and it's basically just focused on investing. So what I've personally seen uh, again in my community is that 
there is a significant lack of financial literacy for high schoolers and young adults, um, not just in the community, I guess. I'd say around the world for sure. Um, I think the pa- pandemic uh, showed a very good uh, example of, of the weakness we might have as a community, whereas uh, just the lack of passive income and multiple streams of income uh, probably caused the condition uh, overall to be a, a lot uh, worse in general, I would say. So Stock Talk, what that does is based off of all the knowledge I've learned, all the basics uh, and fundamental concepts, which I think are, are crucial for investing and for planning for the future, what I do is I help high schoolers and some college students learn about the basics of investing and saving up. So I'm not a financial a financial consultant. I don't think that's my job. Plus, I'm 90% sure I legally can't do that. However, <laughs> what I do do is I tell them about what you need to know in order to get started. So what are the different types of investing, right? Day trading, swing trading, long-term investment. Uh, what are different types of stocks? Uh, what is an exchange-traded fund? Why is that awesome for beginners or long-term investors? And the goal of Stock Talk is that I'm not going to teach you how to make money. I'm just going to give you the resources so that when you do go and turn 18, when you do graduate out of college, you have your plan set. You know, okay, here's what I'm going to do. 10% of my income I'm going to save. I'm going to invest that in you know, a, uh, the SPY ETF, which you know, tracks the S&P 500, et cetera. Wait till I'm 37, you know, bank out, have a really nice retirement, et cetera, whatever it might be. I love it. I love the fact that you're you're planning on retiring and banking out at 37. I'm with you. I'm with you. That would I, be a very I, good goal. I missed that. I missed that. I didn't do it. But listen, don't don't let someone stop you. That should be your goal. So so it sounds like Stock Talk's really about financial literacy, huh? Right. So you're doing all the make sure everyone knows how to do index funds and their 401ks and take advantage of all the retirement stuff. Is is that kind of your mission with Stock Talk? Yeah, yeah. The mission is just to provide a, a very good basis. Or, or a basic understanding of of finance. I don't teach uh, like the students, I guess, about day trading and how to make super risky trades. I, I teach them how to, you know, more. It's more long term based because not everyone is into quantitative finance and does as much research as I do. However, I do also think there's a very big misconception that the majority of people who are invested. They do do some research. Don't get me wrong. They don't go in blindly. However, they're not the ones you see on, on TV or in the movie who are constantly every day in the morning, furiously typing, looking at black screens, you know, distressed whenever they lose some money. Uh, rather, there's a lot of investors like Warren Buffett, without a doubt, uh, you know, best example, long term investing, taking it slow, investing just a bit of your income again and again and, you know, paying off in the future. That's that's what I'm trying to spread and try to motivate others to do as well. So, you know, kind of a common theme in like so many of your activities here, I think it's about, you know, taking some knowledge and you know, something that you've done and then really being wanting to spread it, teach it, evangelize it. So that you clearly have tons of almost endless energy to do that. So like, where does that come from? Like, you know, the, this desire to like kind of spread, spread knowledge, whether it be computer science or stock investing or whatever else you're interested in, like, like where does that come from? Why are you so interested in doing that? Well, I, I would I would say that there isn't exactly one answer for why I, I like doing this. I think it's it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, I always believe that only do what you're motivated in. Otherwise, you yourself won't be interested, nor will the people who are learning from you or, or interacting with you. I think most of my organizations or most of the things which I do are focused upon just some aspects of, uh, my, of, of society and my community, which I noticed that is lacking. And it just happens for some reason that those also do align with my interests, right? Um, I my, my interest in finance and quantitative finance opened me up to Stock Talk, which 
also is going over something which I do think is underlooked within society. Edgy data and tech savvy gen are focused on aspects which are not as much uh, or as discussed in, in terms of uh, how important that is for education. And I think it's just the motivation. I, I really do believe if you do know, if you know what you're doing, if you have learned what you think is essential, however you realize that that isn't something everyone else can say the same of. Um, not everyone can say, oh yeah, I learned that when I was young, or I understand what you're saying. Then I do think you you do have an obligation or you do uh, get a sense of like uh, happiness whenever you do end up, you know, spreading it around, helping others and teaching them or letting them see aspects of, of life, which you yourself were able to see, but you know, others could not or, or cannot in the current moment, I guess. Well, it's a fantastic attitude. I mean, I think, you know, it's just, it's amazing to see your passion at such a young age. So I'm just, I'm just extremely impressed about it. Well, listen, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about here is like somehow in your spare time, after all the stuff we talked about, you're also uh, very much into debate here. So if I've got my research right, it looks like you placed 12th in the country in the Lincoln-Douglas debate. So for those of us that don't know, what exactly is a Lincoln-Douglas debate? And like, what is a debate competition like? How does that, how does that work? Yeah, so Lincoln-Douglas debate is probably, I would say, the most common form of debating for high schoolers. So Lincoln-Douglas debate is meant to model the original uh, Lincoln and Douglas debates, which occurred. Of course, those ones are hours long. And so the current version is condensed roughly to an hour. So what Lincoln-Douglas debate does is it incorporates uh, political issues and current event, uh, events with philosophical like teaching. So what I mean by that is that there might be a current issue or a, a current political dispute which is occurring. We, of course, debate that. However, we debate that through a framework. And what the framework is, is a philosophical lens. So we have to do research, look into philosophies and theories, um, for instance, utilitarianism and uh, deontology. Those are you know, probably two of the most common ones. Of course, we can get a little bit more in depth and um, very good debaters are very knowledgeable about a lot of philosophies as well as common answers to them, as well as what you know, in theory are problems with them. And so through those framings, we justify the topic. For instance, if one of the topics are that, um, of a topic from uh, last year was that nuclear arsenals ought to be eliminated. So if uh, the affirmative is saying, yes, they should be eliminated, says that nuclear arsenals um, cause stig stigma or they negatively harm politics, then they would have to say this matters because under a utilitarian framing, when we're trying to maximize expected well-being or the greatest good for the greatest number, a lack of diplomacy harms multiple countries. Like that's just a very uh, quick example, but we have to theoretically justify that. Um, yeah, that's so pretty much it. Like, do you get the topics beforehand or do you just get the topic when they say it? Yeah, so in Lincoln-Douglas debate, we get the topic a month before uh, the topic is officially uh, used, and the topics are for two months. Okay. Um, so, for instance, there's a September-October topic, November-December, January-February. So you do get a March, chance April. to prepare, basically. You do some research and prepare your various arguments. Is that kind of Oh, yeah, works? of course. Okay. Yeah, so we get to prepare basic cases. However, I do think that critical thinking is is really uh, necessary in Lincoln-Douglas debate because while you can prepare for your case, you really can't prepare for the answers they might throw at you. Okay. So listen, I'm not going to try to read this. I want I want you to read, to tell, I want to every, everyone to hear, what was the topic that you debated? Go ahead and, and give us the full uh, description here. 
Yeah, so the Nationals topic this summer was resolved the intergenerational accumulation of wealth is antithetical to the democracy. So the, the phrasing itself might be a, a very confusing. In all honesty, I think at first it was. What does antithetical mean? How do you define intergenerational accumulation of wealth? Um, further, the, since this is a global issue, right, the definition of intergenerational wealth changes from country to country. So this was a really good nationals topic in the sense that there was a lot of depth and there was a lot of information you needed to know. However, there was also a lot of uh, theoretical literature which justified this topic. So the affirmative had to say, yes, um, passing down of wealth once a person uh, passes away to their, uh, you know, um, son, daughter, etc. Right? Sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. inheritance. Yeah, that's justified. And that is necessary or that is a good thing in a democracy. That last part in a democracy is what made this topic a little bit more, not complicated, but I'd say a little more challenging because uh, we had to justify how this supports or bolsters a democracy. Um, okay. Yeah. And so you, uh, so how does it work? Like after you kind of like, do you compete like one-on-one -on -one and then is it just like you win or you lose or do you get like a score? Like how, how, do, how does it? I guess, how do you become 12th? Is it just like a, a score everybody gets or is it like almost like a, a round robin competition tournament style? Yeah, so the way Lincoln-Douglas debate works is it's one-on-one -on -one with a judge. So usually the preliminary rounds are presets. So for nationals, there were six preset rounds where I was preset to debate uh, some other random debater who qualified for nationals. And so we debated, the judge voted. We don't find out about our decisions till the end of the tournament, which is a little bit of, it's a little bit of a stressor because we're not sure, right? Um, you can think, okay, I think I won. I think I didn't win. Uh, I didn't win. I didn't win. Sorry, uh, et cetera. Then what happens is after the prelim rounds are done, most tournaments, what most tournaments do is they create a seating, seating where, uh, where they look at the results and they rank you from one to however uh, amount of people or whatever amount of people are going to advance in elimination rounds. That's the most common way of doing this. Okay. Uh, for, yeah. For And then from there, they just do seatings and it's an elimination round. Um, one loss, you're out. Often there's... Uh, three judges or maybe sometimes even more and you debate and uh if you win you move on if you lose um you know hope you had a great time <laughs> well great well listen man I, I don't know what to say i think being 12th in the country would you actually fly or did you do this virtually was this during covid like how did that work yeah so uh unlike the year before when i also went to nationals this year it was purely virtual so okay. Uh, the internet was definitely a little bit of an issue as well as, um, you know, just co uh, connectivity. And there were some incidents where, you know, some people just got disconnected in the middle of the round, et cetera. However, overall, it was it was phenomenal. I think uh, the uh, debate association did a really good job of maintaining um, like the comp competitive like spirit and environment. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's fun, but like, do you enjoy it? It sounds like a tremendous amount of work to me, but is it fun? Is this something you really enjoy doing? <laughs> So there definitely is a lot of work. However, I, I enjoy it. Um, ironically, it's a distressor for me. Like for some reason, uh, most <laughs> of my friends- a, Hold on, debate yeah. is a de-stressor. That's how you relax, you debate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I know it's really weird, but um, for some reason, debate just finds a way to like uh, pull me away from the stress or whatever issues I have in school, et cetera. And I just get a debate. It's all about in that round, you, your opponent, the decisions you make, et cetera. And I enjoy it. Like winning or losing, there's always something you can learn from the other person. And, and that's just, I just really like that personally as not just in debate, but also as like a mindset overall, being informed about politics, learning from each other, et cetera. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you know, it sounds super fun. I mean, I'm just I'm totally impressed by this topic. Even when I, I was reading it, I was like, I'd never even heard of this, you know. So that's kind of stuff. So it's fantastic. So, well, listen, um, you know, it sounds like you know, you, you know, your, your career, like you're 30 years into your career, but uh, it turns out you, you're just kind of getting started. So when when do you actually graduate from high school? Yeah, so I'm going to be graduating next spring. I'm currently a senior. Okay, and what? Um, you know, you mentioned it a little bit before, but maybe for those that don't know, like I know you're in the International Baccalaureate Program, but also known as IB. So for those that don't know, what is an uh, IB program and like why would why would a high school student want to uh, pursue being an IB? Yeah, so IB is a program which uh, certain high schools offer. So IB, I would say, is more focused on the holistic development and growth of students in terms of education and as uh, just in life as well, right? So the other alternative is usually uh, AP. AP is just uh, different, different classes, and you can take, you know, one, you can take AP in math, you can take AP in science, et cetera. However, IB itself is a program which just encompasses everything you do in general in school. So apart from just offering higher level classes, which are similar to advanced placement, we also have to do our own research papers and uh, analysis on our personal interests in different subjects. This is a lot uh, different than normal schooling, I would say, because I, I do think this is uh, more of a preparation for college. Plus, it lets you um, focus on things you are yourself interested. For instance, in my math research uh, paper, I had done uh, analysis on the economic in, uh, inequality in the United States and just analyzing uh how that happened, uh, what is the current state, et cetera. Um, you can do that based off of whatever you uh, are interested in in any subject. I also think that another aspect of IB, which I think is uh, phenomenal, is CAS. So CAS stands for Creativity, Activity, and Service. So the point of CAS is that we expect you to be, you know, working hard, you know, sometimes procrastinating, but most of the time just working hard, doing a lot of work and really dedicated. However, you do need to have a life outside of our classes. So what CAS does is it basically gives you the opportunity to do things outside of the school. So for instance, CAS stands for Creativity Activity Service. So a creativity uh, activity, a creativity activity uh, might be, you know, baking a cake, uh, making a flyer, doing something which is creative. Activity might be developing myself mentally or, you know, physically running a marathon, etc. Service is just giving to the community, etc. These are external events and activities, which IB also wants you to do along with your uh, school. And I think that just helps you develop holistically and makes you a well-balanced student and person. Well, that's fantastic. It sounds like, you know, for you, the, uh, the IB program has been you know, pretty, pretty successful. I think, uh, <laughs> I think you're probably <laughs> going to be used as one of the examples, whether you like it or not is, is a huge success. So, uh, well, that's fantastic. I'm sure people hear about it. So, well, what's next? I mean, I know you're going to you gotta finish high school and hopefully we're all going to move past this pandemic. Are you uh, applying to college? Are you starting a company? Like what wh- what are you going to do next? Yeah. So I, I currently am applying to, uh, colleges. So I'm finalizing my colleges. I'm looking at, uh, what field I want to apply in. Um, at the moment, mathematical science and computational uh, computational science is uh, my interest, right? It's a really nice balance of math, computer science, and in some colleges, you can also, you know, incorporate that with finance. As for, you know, uh, like entre- entrepreneurial, like things, I would say that I definitely still am focused. Um, I do think Stock Talks has the potential of becoming a really nice um, 
startup. I do think that is definitely something which I could look at for a business. Um, Edudata and Tech Savvy Gen are focused on nonprofit accessible education. So, of course, I'm going to continue doing that, but I'm not looking at you know profit as a means of that. Um, but Stock Talk, you know, is probably going to be a lot more relevant to me in terms of if I want to go into the financial sector. But of course, I'm always going to be looking at new ideas, new opportunities, meeting new people, uh, you know, working on other uh, activities, etc. Well, it's fantastic. Listen, I've, you know, you sent me some information before the show. I'll just, uh, just going to vouch for you here that I think, uh, college counselors or college admission recruiters should uh, be reaching out to you. It seems like I think you'll, uh, have a choice of many colleges to go to, uh, wherever you want to. So, uh, but listen, Arnav, I'm, I'm about to ask you the most important question on this entire discussion. And if you get this wrong, I, there w- this will be a fail for all of us, oh, man. but, uh, it's very simple here. Uh, who's your favorite high school counselor? Yeah, so you might actually know her. Um, uh, it's Miss Witchard. Um, she, she's no, um, she's an answer. awesome. That's counselor. a good answer, Arnav. <laughs> yeah, she, she's an awesome counselor. She's been there helping me out with college apps as well as just IV and high school in general. She's always been a, a mentor figure, and um, yeah, I love Miss Witchard. She's the best. Yes, so we should thank Mrs. Witchard for yes. setting this up. She, you know, uh, she kind of sent me some information, said you'd be someone interesting to talk to, and she was, of course, right. And uh, I'll just say for her, I think she speaks highly of you, but she speaks highly of, of all of the students, and she focuses on the IB program. And so uh, she just talks about how all of you are great and how all of you are going to go on to do great things. So it's uh, been fantastic talking to you. So before we close out here, um, if people want to reach out to you, maybe they want to uh, offer some advice. Maybe they want to offer you a job. Maybe they want to offer you admission <laughs> to college. I don't know. If they want to offer you something else, uh, what's the best way for them to, to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I would say if it's uh, specific to like Stock Talk, Tech Savvy Gen, et cetera, uh, go ahead, fill out that contact form. Uh, uh, it's the fastest way to get to me uh, from there. However, I also do have a LinkedIn, um, Arnav Hare. Uh, you can always, you know, add me, send me, uh, you know, send me a message if you have, you know, anything you want to help out with. If there's any advice you have, I'm always looking for new experiences. I'm, I do think I'm pretty young uh, in my journey of, you know, computer science mastery. And so, uh, if there's any opportunities anyone has or any uh, advice on what I can improve on, I for sure would love that. I'm always looking for other mentors and people who can help me out. All right. Well, that's just a message to everyone. I think uh, if you've got. Uh, if any type of opportunity for Arnav, I think he'd be interested. He'd be more than a great uh, um, student or a potential intern or whatever. You know, offer him admission to college. Everyone should be reaching <laughs> out to him. So uh, Arnav, thanks a lot for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this was an awesome opportunity. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, keep it going, please. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, this is the first time you've ever heard Software Defined Talk. Well, welcome. And you can subscribe to the podcast by going to www.softwaredefinedtalk.com. You can probably subscribe right now from whatever podcast player you're listening uh, to. And uh, you can also go out to our website and follow us on social media. We've got a Slack. We've got all kinds of things. Uh, if you want a sticker to put on your laptop or put anywhere you want, this is what you got to do. Just send me your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you one or many stickers anywhere in the world. And with that, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.